all, you can't really talk about the early second wave of the women's movement without talking about This is a WLRN extended interview. Okay, good morning. I've got Peggy Lures on the line with me. Welcome, Peggy, to WLRN. Uh, thank you, Thistle. I'm glad to be there. I listen to that regularly. Awesome. So <laughs> we are uh, calling you from Madison, Wisconsin, and you are over there in Burlington, Vermont. And it's not just the pandemic that has hit Burlington, Vermont. Um, it's also trans activism, and which yeah. is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so can you just tell us in a nutshell, briefly, uh, what happened in the last couple of years as you were organizing talks in your town? Okay, well, first of all, let me say that I'm really someone who got the entire uh, LGB community going in this town. And back in 1973, started the first lesbian rap group. Um, so... I have a long history here of being an advocate and a political activist, and um, I belong to the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, well, and we meet in our peace and justice center, and I have been, was getting increasingly concerned about the conflict between some of the desires of the trans activist community and the rights of women. And, and Wilp was having regular um, informational sessions at our meetings, and I said that I would like to have a session on, you know, this conflict between trans rights and between trans desires, I would say, and women's rights, because I'm all for trans rights as far as equal rights, but um, not for changing the word sex to gender identity, which could be very devastating to women's uh, hard-fought rights. So... Wilf was interested. They, we agreed to have that discussion. We had a very calm, uh, but we were told by the Peace and Justice Director Rachel that we could not, uh, we could not have that discussion in the Peace and Justice Center. Um, but we could, we could have our meeting. But then, when we were coming to that discussion, we had to go somewhere else, and then we could come back. And I said that's ridiculous, and most of us said that's ridiculous. She happened to be out of town. She sent her intern, and we told him we were not going to leave. And um, so I guess she was very angry that we didn't leave, that we had that discussion. And then it was a couple of months later, and they were having a, an event at a place called the Echo Center, which is a museum on the lake about the lake, and honoring one of my colleagues, Robin, who I've worked with for 40, 50 years. And, um, but... I got a call from Rachel telling me I should not attend this event and spoil it for Robin. And I was like, why would I spoil it? And she said, well, she said that her staff was intimidated by me. And, and I said, what are you talking about? You know, just my presence. And she said, yes, so that I could not, should not go to this event. And um, I later decided to go to the event with all the other Wilp women and honor Robin. And when I got there, they, she had called three patrol cars. This is her idea, apparently, of nonviolent communication. And um, they were, and she and others were blocking the door to make sure that I could not go into this ceremony to honor my colleague. But what happened was that most of the Wilp women, except 
the one who was being honored and one other one, most of us walked out. And then within a month, she was tossing the um, Wilp, which had paid for membership and actually Robin had actually founded the Peace and Justice Center some years back. And she she said, tossed Wilp out of the Peace and Justice uh, Center as a member. Uh, um, this woman named Rachel, who is the executive director of the Peace yeah. and Justice Center. Yeah, Rachel Siegel is her name. She was, you know, she supposedly she's leaving, but she's still there as far as I know. Um, but yeah, so. So I now Wilp does not just, meet at the Peace and Justice the Center. Part. Excuse me? So Wilp no longer meets at the Peace and Justice Center. Right. We no longer meet there. We were tossed out. We were there were only two peace groups in the Peace and Justice Center. Now there's only one. That would be the vets against the war. She's and where do they get their funding from? Um, memberships and grants, and probably, probably the woman that I work with, uh, who 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 started it, probably used to fund the Mebley. I don't know what she does anymore. Um, so and and. Uh, also, she also began to tell everyone that I was a violent, horrible person. And, you know, she kept telling people that I had done violence. And um, Wilf had several meetings. I didn't go to them because I thought I would just be, you know, irritated by some of the stuff that I would experience. But finally, when like a new friend of mine went in and said, why are you doing this to Peggy Lewis? And she's done all this work for the community for years. And, 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 and this rape. The peace and justice told this whole this woman, oh, she's a violent, horrible person. So I finally decided I'm going to a meeting because this has to stop. And I demanded that they give me an example of the violence that I had committed. And all she could come up with was that I had come in one time and looked at what used to be the women's studies shelf shelves. It used to be a whole section, and I used to buy a lot of books there. Um, it's now a gender shelf, and had basically no feminism. So I said, you know, it doesn't seem like you, you, you don't have any feminist books here. It doesn't seem like you, you give a damn about women. And that was my being violent. Um, mm -hmm. That was the only And did. now this meeting, was this a board meeting, meeting of the Peace and Justice Center or was it the Wilp meeting before Wilp was kicked out? It was a Wilp meeting and she had a board meeting. And actually that was quite something too because I saw the minutes of the board meeting. And they immediately said, oh, we don't really have a quorum because we can't really make a decision. But they made the decision anyway to oust Wilf. <laughs> and they told Wilf to leave. So they violated their own rules. So other board members at the Peace and Justice Center, besides the ex executive director, are in favor of silencing this discussion. She's got a hand-picked, what they call a follow board. <laughs> You know, there are boards that are more independent though. She's got, and, and it seems she's done picking that board and picking the books has to do with making sure everything is friendly to trans activist orthodoxy these days. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. since I complained, they put in a bell hooks book on the shelf, but you know, there's nothing. So like... was Rachel attending the Wilt meetings regularly? Not no, but apparently she was reading the minutes and keeping track. Uh huh. 
I, I guess I'm confused in the story about like you skipped WILP meetings because you felt like they would, things would be discussed there that would be irritating oh, that, and right, that, annoying that, to that, you. Those, those were meetings between WILP and, and Rachel and the board. I didn't oh, okay. You skipped those. To, other women went to our, I mean, I'm not always the most um, uh, diplomatic person in the world, but, um, you know, I also do know how to speak to people and I am not a violent person. And, um, but I just felt like, you know, doing the pronoun go round, all of the sort of things that you would have to do to even speak to Rachel, I wasn't really keen on it. And so, these other the other women went and they were utterly frustrated. They could get nowhere. And like I said, finally I there was but Robin in particular kept wanting there not to be a division between Wilf and and, and uh the Peace and Justice Center. And I don't think and I think I was the only one that was really aware of how this goes with trans activists. Everyone else thought, you know, the reasonable people we could talk about this, but you know. I know that there's a lot of not reasonable people in this. Um, so they kept trying and they didn't get anywhere. And then, and like I said, when there was a, when there was one more meeting, I decided to go because I really wanted to, I wanted to confront them. You know, I wanted to be there. I didn't want to hear secondhand from another meeting all that was said about me. I thought, well, you know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna do this. You're gonna have to do it with me here. You're gonna have to tell me, you know, you're what what you're talking about because I've done nothing, you know. Right. And did be, you attempt to record that meeting in any way? I did not record that meeting. I did record. I, a friend of mine did record the whole evening when she, um, you know, the me attempting to get into the event for Robin. Oh, really? And, and where and is the, that recording? Um, I think I have a copy of it. I can certainly get it again. Sure, because we'd love to publicize it. Is it a video recording or is it a just an audio recording? No, it's a video because awesome. I mean, yeah, people. I think that that's important to document um, the the way they handled it and how you were treated. So yeah, if you could send me that video, that would be really great. Um, okay, I can do that. Also. Can you talk a little bit about your background with the Center for Media and Democracy? I was reading about them, and when I typed in your name, quite a few programs came up, but they were from 2008 and then older. What, what did you do with the Center for Media and Democracy? That's Channel 17. It's our local, um, it's our local community and um, uh government access channel. I mean, there's public access and, and I have been doing a show probably for 20 years now, once a month that I call the feminist media review. And it can be different things. Some of them are local, some of them. I actually went on YouTube one day and was, uh, there's baby rad femme and I was looking in baby rad femme and found three of my shows there. Someone had no one asked me. Someone had picked them out and put them up, and they were perfect, the ones they had picked out, because like I said, sometimes I'll talk about local issues or a bunch of issues, but someone had picked out one I had done on the trans issue, one on um, radical feminism, and one on ecofeminism, which is something I taught for 10 years. So 
those three programs are out there on YouTube. And there, I guess if you go to the center, there's a, a load of programs. Cause like when said, I went to their site, I did not find those programs. The earliest or the um, youngest program that I found was from 2008. So the Center for Media and Democracy continues to air your once a month program where you discuss feminist issues. Yes, I do that live huh. once a month. And it's you do called, it live and then it doesn't get archived? Is that why? I mean, I'm just wondering because, you know, obviously, obviously there's a censorship problem happening. And I, I'm just wondering about your relationship with the Center for Media and Democracy. They're, they're not into censorship. And I don't think that's what's happening. It's probably more like they haven't finished archiving. But if you mm -hmm. do want to see those videos, punch in Baby Radfem and my name and you'll find the recent videos that I did there on really specific to feminism and this issue. Okay, Baby Rad Fem YouTube channel, and then just search under Peggy Lures. Put Baby Rad Fem Peggy Lures and it'll come up. Okay. And you'll I, find Um Thank you. Um, and I will try to remember to link to that in our, in our write-up as well. Well, that's great that the Center for Media and Democracy has not shunned you and persecuted you. Have they had a conversation with you at all? No, they haven't. They haven't said anything to me. I continue to talk about this. I probably will. I mean, I would have. I would have. I just went to London and met some of the wonderful women there. Um, I met Venice Allen and Julia Long and briefly Posey Parker and a bunch of other women um, and went on a march and was part of the speak out on March 8th. That was all great. Um, the thing is, when I found the videos on YouTube, I was surprised, but I was happy. And, and I got some nice comments from what seemed like young women. And I started to think, well, you know, the thing for me to do is do a show and just talk about radical feminism. And that was partly inspired by having seen some detransitioner narratives where women spoke about finding radical feminism and finding another way to think about this. And I don't think that I had realized up until recently that radical feminism has been so disappeared. And it's something I love and something I know a lot about and have taught. And so I thought maybe the best thing I could do is go on and just talk about radical feminism and teach radical feminism basically on YouTube. So I keep hoping to get to that. And to some degree I have in that, you know, they've already put out videos of mine. But um, I think it's important to to get that perspective back in, in consciousness. Very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we at WLRN see a strong interest from women who are between the ages of 18 and 35. Like, there's a lot of our listeners and our volunteers and our members are in that age group. So, hallelujah. <laughs> that means yeah. um, it's it's on the rise. I mean, we can hope that that's what it means. Um, yeah. So, I also so, want I mean, to really take, take us back to your story in in Burlington. Um, so in 2018, Rachel and the board of the Peace and Justice Center decided that Wilp would no longer be able to meet there. Is that correct? Was that when that decision was made? Correct. 
That's, and then, that's so really... now for two years, where has Wilf been meeting and was Wilf involved in this most recent event that was canceled by you? And I just would like to hear the story from beginning to end of who organized that library, public library talk, and why did you decide to cancel it? And where does Wilf meet now? Okay, Wilf now meets in the community center. There's a new, new community center, and we've been meeting there. And we met, met in a couple of different places. We're a little bit, this month, we're meeting on Zoom. Um, Wilf is not involved in this. Wilf, um, there are different opinions in Wilf on this, and, you know, and, and there are ways that they have been upset. Well, there were, there, there were things that Wilf was doing, like with the University of Vermont, where they started to say, we don't know if we can work with you because you're transphobic, because because of this whole thing, Wilf got the reputation of being transphobic. And I would say, you know, there's a variety of opinions. Most of them understand the threat to women's rights, but most of them are not, you know, going to take a stand on this issue. Um, and... Which I, is fascinating to me because this is an organization that's nationwide. It's the women or international, right? Women's International League, League yeah, for Peace and Freedom. How long, when, can you give us just a really brief history of Wilp? Like, it started like a long time ago with the suffragettes, right? It's It wasn't the suffragettes or well, it probably was to some degree. Actually, Jane Addams was one of the founders. Okay, you know who Jane Adams is, right? And um, mm -hmm. but go ahead was, and, and just say a little bit about her. Well, in, well, Jane Adams had had done Hull House and was a suffragist, and you know, and and just was was very much into peace and socialism. Anyway, so Jane Adams and actually Robin's grandmother, whose name was Maverick, um, Lola Maverick, uh, 1915, they started Wilf. They actually. They were incredibly brave women. They took a boat to The Hague, and this was just because they wanted to try to stop World War One. And they actually um, uh, met in The Hague with women from, from all the countries that were involved. Um, they had to go through, you know, um, seas that had uh, enemy boats and so on and so forth, you know, this war starting. And uh, they had this big meeting at The Hague and formed WILP, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And it's got quite a history and quite a membership. Um, and it is an international group and, and an national group. And one of the things that came up with WILP was, should WILP have a national policy on this? And uh, my personal opinion was, WILP. Wilf should not take up this issue because I felt it would just be because I've seen so many women's um, organizations destroyed by the split around this. And I thought that would happen with Wilf. And I said, Wilf should simply say that we uh, we affirm everyone's um, human rights, everyone, you know, and, and not not get into a policy discussion around this because I thought it would just because I've seen where it's led. It's led to. Destroying, but that was that was within your local chapter. What about Wilp as an international organization? Wilp international. I think that that internationally, though, I love Madeline Reese, who's our secretary general. I think that they have taken up the position of supporting 
trans, uh, the trans agenda that the UN has supported. Oh, yeah, that 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 figures. We have yeah. a wealth chapter here in Madison too, and I, one of the leaders is um, part of our Peace and Justice Center actually, um, who was very um, very much like Rachel. Uh, at your Peace and Justice Center and was on the front lines telling everyone publicly in Madison that I'm a hateful bigot and, you know, causing violence towards, even though I, they never like went so far as to, well, actually, yeah, I don't think they ever went so far as to say that I myself was violent, but that my thoughts and my ideas and the way that I spoke was violent um, and causing violence. But anyway, so that's interesting because she not only is she a leader for the Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice, which is kind of like your Peace and Justice Center. Um, She's also um, Dacha Zeps is her name. She's also a leader in Wilt here in Madison. Um, And she's also in the Green Party and a part (laughs) of the Greens. So it's just kind of interesting to, you know, think about political types of of people of of women especially and how they can have such a strong hand in destroying women's solidarity and sisterhood i mean that's that to me is the most heartbreaking part of this is seeing women defend men you know who say they're women over women you know that's just appalling to me and sad and you know that says we really have lost the plot to me. You are listening to WLRN. So then getting back to the library talk, it was not organized by Wilt. It was organized by this new group that you started, right, called um, Gender Critical Vermont, right? Yeah, well, we... We were kind of just putting ourselves together, and one of the members, um, and actually it was the guy, um, sort of jumped the gun getting a, a, a thing at the library. We weren't, but we decided, okay, once he got the date, we decided, okay, we will do it. We'll go ahead and do it. But we immediately there was people calling us a hate group with no evidence. I mean, the statement we put out was... Uh, certainly had nothing hateful in it, and it affirmed our commitment to all human rights for trans people. Um, and anyway, and, uh, you know, so, and, and they went to the city council that night, and uh, uh, my, my own city councilor from my ward denounced it as a hate group, made a little speech about it. The mayor said, we're not going to have hate in this town. Everything, everyone carried on. Uh, with zero evidence that there was any hate group. And it just felt, and, you know, they were immediately organizing to, you know, um, to stop the meeting or reinform, you know, educate us. And um, there's no, the library was very good in, in keeping its commitment to free speech, but the library rules are that you could not close the doors, you could not keep anyone out. And it just felt, to me, I thought, I am not going to have a shouting match, you know, if I cannot speak and that's, that's what's going to happen, you know, so, and I just felt like, you know, it wasn't, wasn't worth going to confront all these people and have a shouting match. 
Um, so we how was the decision made to cancel? Was it a group decision or did you decide to cancel it? Well, I, I no, I discussed it with the other people in the group. Um, mm -hmm. and we all decided to do that. We decided we would, well, and when we're, we're, we're sort of, we decided what we would do was do a whole, whole lot more preparation, get some really well-informed speakers here and have a whole panel, have it in a bigger venue have it in a place where we could have security and we could have some control anyway. And we were, that was our plan. And we even had made some connections with some women in London, one of whom I managed to meet while I was there. Um, and, and, and that's all on, sort of on hold because of um, the situation we're in right now. We're all, we're all quarantining, but we're communicating and we're working on it. And I personally, I'm working on right now, just some, informational literature because there has been nothing as far as I can tell in Vermont but the you know extreme trans activist position put out there there's no countering mm -hmm. it you know and there and there's an attempt to make it so that um surgeries can be done down to any age in Vermont which I think is wow yes because you know the trans activist movement comes to us as the most progressive movement and so if Vermont is known as this very progressive state as it is um you know it's like a lot of people who just don't dig deep enough and don't they they don't look past the rhetoric um, they just embrace it because it's it's successfully convinced progressives that is it is part of the progressive movement. Yeah, because the trans activists have been very clever running around the world, you know, setting up, get you know, doing a whole policy uh, capture before anyone knew what they were doing. And that's, I think, why the main thing that they tend to do is try to stop other people's speech because can't really defend many of their positions. But, but I mean, in progressive activism, certainly there's a tradition of spirited and open discourse and discussion as part of, as a, as a pillar of democracy. Right. So I just, I don't understand how progressives at this point in this at this juncture in 2020 after all this stuff has happened how they can't see that there's something awry here <laughs> i know i mean the author i've you know i mean i was used to authoritarianism from the right but not from the left this is really that's what i see this as this is an authoritarianism this is compelled speech and and um, censored speech, um, neither which is okay. You know, you have a right to proselytize and say whatever you want and state your position, but you don't have a right to attempt to either deny or compel my speech, you know? Yes, I do. So it's a sad state of affairs, but I'm glad you're there. Peggy, and it sounds like you've got some friends and colleagues that are that you can work with that are not, um, you know, running away from you in fear because of how you as an individual have been targeted. And I very much know and understand what that's about, where it it's you lose friends and you lose, you know, um, your reputation 
And well, I had lost friends, and certainly with the whole younger crowd that thinks it's the most progressive in town, you know, they've turned on me because of this issue. I've definitely lost friends. I mean, my old friends, no, they probably agree with me, but a lot of them don't really want to come out on it. But some of them are, and uh, and um, you know, we do have a group, and I think we'll 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 do okay. And the other thing is. I do have 50 years here of being involved in so many things that it's a little hard to convince everyone that I'm what they say I am. You know, the people who've known me that long. <laughs> right, right. I, I get that. I mean, that's how it is here in Madison, too. Not not as long on my part, but I was a very prominent peace and justice and environmentalist activist in mm -hmm. Madison before I was turfed and people mm -hmm. remember that. And I was a singer songwriter with a band and playing regular shows and people remember that too. And so it has been a hard sell on some, on some levels it's been a hard sell, but then at, on other levels, it's just really fascinating to see, well, who gets on board with this hate campaign because that's what it is. It's a hate, hate campaign against us mm -hmm. as individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, and who and, and who here. doesn't get on board with it? You know, like you really start learning who your real friends are and who who's just kind of going along to get along and doesn't right. really care that much about the cause. You know, I know I was really shaken up. I got over it after a while. I did. I don't know what did I do. Sometimes I listened to. Sometimes I just danced to some gentleman Jack video. <laughs> I'm the bad guy. <laughs> Something like that, you know, just to get it out, because I didn't want to engage in a, in a, you know, I didn't want to actually have a struggle going on back and forth. But it, but but the thing is, so to get back to the library, canceling it was actually not such a bad thing because everyone was very interested, and I was um, uh, the local TV station came. And I did a long, lengthy interview with them, and the, and I got relatively sympathetic coverage. We got, I should say, got relatively sympathetic coverage in the news in our local uh, seven days, which is our weekly. I mean, our daily is not worth much of anything, and the and the news and then the news. I was very calm and reasoned, and the. Then they were switching into, you know, what the activists were saying, and they were, and they were saying, these are horrible people. They shouldn't be allowed to live here. They're disgusting, you know, while calling us a hate group. So, it didn't turn out too badly in terms of most of the people who saw, you know, um, could see that I was. There was nothing I was saying that was hateful, you know, that I was affirming that I, you know, support all human rights for trans people and and the, even uh you know gender non-discrimination laws for trans people the way lesbians and and gay men have them um but not but that you know but but this idea of switching from sex to gender identity is very very threatening to women's rights that we've worked so hard for mm -hmm. and i'm a lesbian and i've done you know i helped start it pride in 1983 here in this community and i have no no problem with gender non-conforming people but you know the trans activism is i i just start and and it boggles my mind that more people don't see the misogyny for one 
you know, the issue is always about women's space. No one's ever talking about men's space. Men have tons and tons. You could look up on the on um, the internet uh, the amount of uh, men only spaces in the world. It's 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 enormous. <laughs> and so you know, to me, it was like so obvious, so obvious when you know when men are discussing you know the, defining women and women's place and where they can be and what they can do, um, that that's misogyny and that's incredibly familiar. You know, to anyone who's read Mary Daly or um, mm -hmm. a lot of other. Well, I feel that trans activism has revealed the misogyny of the left. Like it was always there, but now, yes. now the misogyny in on the left has permission to rear its head and, you know, say, do their misogynistic whatever. Um, under the guise of fighting for trans rights and that that misogyny was always there on the left and it's just being revealed by trans activism. But you would hope that, because the left that I grew up with and that I knew had feminism as its one of its um, main things, you know, like that definitely they're, they're in the environmentalist groups that I was organizing with, there was always a, a feeling of, yeah, we're in favor of women as full human beings and women having rights to be here and speak and participate in society. And, you know, um, so it came one, as a surprise. One, one woman I knew from a, you know, a central Vermont Wilf group, uh, and I, w I went there to talk to Central Vermont Wolf and, you know, just tell them the story of what had happened in Burlington. And then as I was leaving, her partner came up to me to tell me he totally had disagreed with me. And why was I so mean to these people? And his sisters were lesbians and they thought trans was great. And he has continued. I finally blocked him because he kept because I would put up something, you know, about children and he would. Why am I so mean to the trans people? And. And I blocked him, but it was just so interesting to me that he was so invested in this, you know, the men are. And I, you know, yeah, I mean, the, Marilyn Webb actually, at least partly from Vermont, but you can see early reporting of early women's liberation when she gets up on a stage in Berkeley to speak and the men scream, take her off and fuck her. That was the left then. Kick and her off and what? They said, take her off the stage and fuck her. <gasps> oh, and these were some leftist men. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This was a bunch of leftist men in the free speech movement reacting to a woman who got up and spoke about women's liberation. Yeah. And what year was that? I think that was 69. Okay. Right. So even before trans activism, there have always been men on the left who are misogynists, and some of them have even felt like they can express it. And women have been fighting this misogyny on the left for a long time. It's just seems like with trans activism, it's just really. It's been the cleverest um, backlash to feminism ever. <laughs> uh huh. The most clever. Well, backlash to feminism ever. This worked. I, I've I'm sort of deciding. Like I keep thinking, like why? 
why do the young why do so many young women support this and then just trash some older women and it doesn't all break down that way i mean certainly there are some fabulous young radical feminists at this point you know um but the ones who do i think well you know the women when they're a certain age they have their most i'd say they have, you know young women have their most bargaining power they're ever going to have right choosing a partner maybe or you know, they're they're young, they're attractive, they're desired, you know, they haven't gotten married, they haven't experienced. I know when I used to go around and talk about domestic violence to young women, so many would say, oh, well, I would never marry anybody like that. And they were all sure they would pick the right guy. You know, they just could not imagine that this would happen to them. And I mm-hmm. think it, and so so sometimes I think what they're doing and, and confronting male power is 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 not easy you know being a feminist has never been a really easy thing to do it's a, it's a, and i think the fact that i came out in 1973 and was probably the first out lesbian at least in northern vermont um certainly prepared me to deal with a struggle like this but actually you know for all the stuff i went through then nothing was as authoritarian or as intimidating as these trans activists have been mhm yeah, and it feels like it has implications for more than just women's rights. It has implications for how society is democratically organized. And like you were saying, there's authoritarianism yeah. that is a part of this misogynistic movement. Yeah, yeah. I've been long for, I mean, in the, in the radical feminist movement, there were always some wonder, especially in the... 70s and 80s, there were always wonderful women who did fantastic analysis around uh, medical issues, you know, women like Barbara Ehrenreich, but many other women too, uh, Merle Hoffman, there were women who did a lot of analysis, like right away around birth control pills, and whether, you know, and, and while a certain part of women's liberation celebrating this as other women were at least looking at the medical consequences because those early pills were very devastating. And there's no one doing anything like that anymore. You know, there's this, the medical community, you know, well, I mean, I, the medical community hardly agrees, but there's been so much pressure put on the medical community that, and, the, and, and the trans activists have publicized the few not very good studies to back their positions. And there's no... You know, there's no place for a thorough feminist critique of this. I mean, I guess WRLN is one of the few places doing it, you know. We don't have anything like, there used to be a magazine called Second Wave that did fantastic reporting on that level. And and Merle Hoffman's, uh, I forgot what she called her magazine, but it was also really good at analyzing, you know, were, were these wonderful things being touted to us really good for women? You know, were they really healthy? Were they? And there's nothing like that, you know. So this feminist current is is great. And I was, you know, going there even before she came out around this issue. Um, and it has been, I guess, I miss being able to pick certain stuff up and read it in my hands. But no, feminist current is great. It's one of the best things we have. And you know, and that and WLRN. I mean, I I listen sometimes to Robin Morgan. She won't touch this issue. And I keep wondering. Oh, that's too bad. Really written to her, and and I got nowhere. I mean, I think they're so busy keeping their young interns, and I don't know. I can't believe she doesn't see it. But I'd be very curious. But anyway, 
I do think, you know, getting back and getting the information out on radical feminism is very important and getting the information out on this and on kids. Certain people are doing, you know, Posey Parker does a great job of talking about in England what they're doing in the schools and all. Here it's, I I wonder, I mean, I think there are, there's a new blog by a woman that I'm friends with on Facebook, uh, Jennifer Billick, B-I-L-E-K, called The Eleventh Hour. And she's doing some very interesting, very much on this topic. She is, she's followed the money a lot, and she's also followed the um, transhumanism agenda, which I think is definitely part of it. You've got to ask, where did all this money come from? Why is there so much so much promoting this and so much, you know, where did they have, they had the, the, the wherewithal to go around and do all of this. And I, I get really angry around the issue, particularly the issues around women's shelters, like what happened in Vancouver is infuriating to me because it's like, what have these people ever built? I was there in this community. I was one of the people that helped get that. I helped start, I definitely helped start women against rape. And then after a while, we started understanding. We opened our, uh, lines to battered women and were instantly overwhelmed and started to work on that issue. So I know that these institutions were built by women, you know, radical feminists with nothing, you know, with no money, with no great support in the beginning. And now these people, and then, and then of course, they did get government funding, which meant they had to you know, compromise their politics and take it in many cases, like here, we used to have women helping battered women. And now it's the steps to ending domestic violence, you know, the agentless, sexless, you know, just steps to ending domestic violence um, kind of thing. And, And I don't even, you know, they take the name, they take our name out of it. We have so little that we've accomplished. And this has been like, let's disappear that, you know, and I, even when we were, Speaking in uh, in England at Speaker's Corner, there were a bunch of men's rights activists doing a whole thing about what about domestic violence against men. And first of all, they're dishonest, the statistics they come up with. But second of all, my thing to them would be, okay, men get battered. Why don't you go out and start a shelter for them? <laughs> what are you here whining to women about? Why don't you go do <laughs> Good point. <laughs> That's that's a wonderful comeback. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Peggy, for speaking with me today. Is there anything else you would like to say to our WLRN listeners before I let you go? I'd say let's learn, let's relearn our radical feminism history and take it further. I'm sure there's new that can be added, but let's at least remember where we came from. Feminism is a real thing with real principles. It isn't just whatever any woman does. And that's really important to remember. And and that woman is not an empty category or something to don. It's a reality and it's a very deep reality. And we're very much oppressed by our sex. And, and that's worldwide. And let's get back to those roots and remember them and not, uh, not be driven away by this... Uh, Slim plan. <laughs> okay. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Well, thank you, Thistle.
Thanks for tuning in to the April 10th interview I did with lesbian feminist Peggy Lures from Burlington, Vermont. For more information about organized efforts to support and defend feminists who experience the worst of trans activist backlash, go to defendfeminists.net. To support the grassroots feminist media work that WLRN provides the community, please visit our WordPress site and click on the donate button. Send comments, questions, or news tips to wlrnewscontact at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to WLRN. I'm Thistle Patterson, signing off for now.